Thank you, Adam. You know, face masks, I think, are kind of the, uh, the new pocket square. So it's, it's going to catch on. I, I know it is one of these days. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is David Hoovler. I'm the pastor of adult discipleship here at Friends. And uh, for those of you who are visiting with us here this morning, uh, I just want to mention to you, we do have the Welcome Center just outside and would invite you to stop by and we'd be glad to share with you some things about our church and answer any questions that you might have, um, even give you a small gift just to, to let you know we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, and also something I, I just wanted to share with you, I, I um, heard just last night, um, many of you who've been here for a while know uh, Eric and Kelly Anderson. Uh, Kelly, longtime members of the church. Kelly was our morning secretary for many years. Um, Eric um, celebrated his ordination uh, yesterday as they minister at the church uh, in, in, in Upper Sandusky. And I know that many of you will, be, will want to rejoice with them uh, as, as he celebrates that. Uh, but as we continue in worship, will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for the chance that we have to, to be together, whether that's here or whether that's joining in uh, through the technology that you have gifted people to create. Lord, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we want to mourn with those who mourn. And God, we confess that this morning many of us are weary. Even as the sun is shining, we grow weary of what we see on the news. We grow weary of the disruption. God, we know that our true rest, our true restoration can only come from you. So Lord, work in our hearts today. Strengthen us, encourage us, fill us with your joy and with your peace. I pray for, for your presence with all of those who are sick, with all of those who are mourning. Strengthen us as your church to come alongside those and to, uh, to support them. I pray for our leaders, for our president and our congress, for uh, our, our governor and the leaders of our county and our schools, for our elder board, for Pastor Jeff. Lord, I just pray that those that have been placed into leadership would seek you, that they would pursue your wisdom and not their own. And Lord, as we open your word today, may you guide us, may you get me out of the way and speak to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we open God's word today, I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 9, uh, beginning with the first verse. Uh, this is a familiar story for many of us. It's Saul on the, on the road to Damascus. Later, he's known as Paul uh, by his Roman name. But this is at the beginning of his story. So Acts chapter 9. But Saul, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who, were called upon this, who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. May God add his blessing to his word. Well, you know, within the past 10 years or so, there's been something showing up on more and more cars. It's called a blind spot warning system. Do any of you have that on your car? A few of you? Yeah. What does it do? Well, there, usually there are some radar sensors that will detect whether there's a car or a Mack truck or a mother-in-law beside your car that you can't see on your mirrors, and a light comes on in your outside mirror to let you know, and sometimes it dings at you. And the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety says that those systems can reduce the occurrence of lane change crashes by 14% and cut the number of those collisions with injuries by 23%. Except there's one thing, they're not really necessary. You see, the problem is that most of us adjust our side mirrors so that we can see the side of our own car in them, right? But that causes a lot of overlap between our inside mirror and our outside mirrors, and it causes blind spots. 
1995, the Society of Automotive Engineers published a paper with a shocking finding, just shocking. If you angle your outside mirrors out just a bit, so there's almost no overlap with the inside one, you practically eliminate the blind spots. Shocking. It just takes a little while to get used to it if you've had your mirrors the other way. Or, you know, we could install a complicated and expensive computer-controlled radar system instead. When it comes down to changing our behavior or adding technology, I think it's clear the direction that we're going. But this morning isn't driver's ed, and when I mention blind spots, I'm not really talking about Mack trucks. Just as Adam reminded us, I'm talking about things that we don't realize about ourselves things that can be hurting us without our even knowing that they're there or hurting us because we don't know they're there. Even worse, they often hurt other people too. We all have things in our blind spots. There are any number of sins that we might go years, even years in our walk with the Lord before we realize that it's not just a problem that other people have, it's a problem that I have. Maybe it's anger, sexual immorality, gossip, substance abuse, or pride. As Pastor Rich challenged us last week, maybe it's failing to respect and honor the image of God in others because of the color of their skin or the language they speak or the attractions they feel or the choices they've made. We all reflect him imperfectly, but we all bear the image of our creator. Those blind spots might be things we just don't see about the world that other people experience every day. What poverty or evil or persecution do we not see just because it's on the other side of the world or the other side of town? What don't we see because it's not on our preferred news outlet? Or because it's not fed to us by those social media algorithms that just show us more of what we like? What do we miss that's right under our noses in our own neighborhoods or in our own church? How do we offend others with careless language without even realizing what we're doing? How do we misinterpret the intentions of others because of the filter of our own experience, our own bias, maybe because of a history of pain or fear? Blind spots can even be things we think we're doing for God when we're actually following our own way. When do we glorify our own culture, our own preferences, our own political leanings, or our own agenda, but we ignore that God corrects every nation, every culture, every political party? We do ourselves a great disservice when we create blind spots by trying to erase history rather than learning from it. We also do ourselves a disservice when we see the past through rose-colored glasses. We should celebrate and learn from the faith of past generations, but we need to hold that intention with their own blind spots. How many of the churchgoers of the 1950s turned a blind eye to segregation and inequity, or even supported it? Many of the founding fathers who wrote that all men are created equal owned slaves. We must always be forming a more perfect union because it has never been perfect. 
We all have blind spots. But how do we know what they are? What do we do about it? I think this passage gives us a hint. First, we need God to reveal our blind spots to us. Second, when he shows us our blind spots, we need to seek forgiveness. Finally, we need God to give us true sight, and we need to respond in faith. Revelation, repentance, response. I'm required to have them all start with the same letter. It's just a thing, sorry. First, revelation. We see here that Jesus actually appears in at least two visions. Of course, he appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, right? Bright light, a booming voice like thunder. He needed to get Saul's attention because Saul thought he saw clearly. He thought he was following God. He'd approved the stoning of Stephen for blasphemy. He was breathing threats and murder, ready to arrest anyone who belonged to the way, as the early church was known. But as he was looking to go after the way, he didn't realize he was going on his way, not God's. So it is on that road to Damascus, as he falls to the ground, he hears a voice calling out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what's his response? Who are you, Lord? This teacher of the law, this zealot for God's glory, didn't recognize the Lord's voice when he called. That's sobering to me. I think it should be a sobering thought to all of us who call on his name. But we also have another vision here. Jesus appears to Ananias, a disciple in Damascus. And what's Ananias's response when Jesus calls? Here I am, Lord. Ananias knows Jesus' voice, but I'd like us to see he doesn't see Jesus' plan. He doesn't understand why Jesus would want him to go to Saul, of all people. Hasn't he been trying to kill us? Ananias also has a blind spot, and he needs God to open his eyes as well. I think we're the same way. Unlike our cars, there's no amount of adjusting of our mirrors or adding of technology that can get rid of our blind spots. No amount of talking or arguing is going to do it either. We need God's revelation, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. For it to really make a difference, we need him to alert us when there's something we don't see. God might speak to us directly as he did to Cain and Elijah, to Saul and Ananias. He might do so through counsel, speaking to us through wise and godly friends and teachers, as he did to King Saul, King David, to the crowd at Pentecost. Or he can do so through his word, speaking to us through the pages of scripture, as he did with King Josiah in the Old Testament. But we need to be open to his doing so and attentive whenever he speaks. I think we do well to take up the cry of King David, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Of course, it's not enough for God just to give us revelation of our blind spots. We need to receive that revelation appropriately. Probably could have used that as another RE word, but anyway. 
The second thing we learn is that we need to repent, to turn again, to call our sin, sin, and seek forgiveness. Saul got up, went into the city of Damascus, and began three days of prayer and fasting. Ananias listened to Jesus, got up, went to Saul, and laid his hands on him. Our reaction to being shown our blind spots makes all the difference. When King Saul was confronted with his sin, he remained proud and obstinate, and he had the kingdom torn from him. When King David was confronted with his sin, he repented, and he found forgiveness and restoration. And we need to repent when God reveals our blind spots to us. We need to fall on our faces before him. God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This isn't directed at those people out there. It's directed at his people, those who are called by his name. We're people who still have blind spots and people who need to repent. And then when God has revealed our blind spots to us, and if we have repented, we still need to respond. It isn't enough just to know that there's a car in your blind spot and just keep changing lanes. Maybe that is enough in China, but every metaphor breaks down a little bit. But we really do need to take action, right? We need to steer back on course. We need to speed up or slow down to let someone merge in. It wasn't enough for Saul to realize he was blind. He needed to see. So God showed him the true way. Saul was a chosen instrument for a special purpose. He was to carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And Jesus would show him how much he would suffer for the sake of his name. I think there's something important to see here. Names. Names represent who someone is. In the Bible, knowing someone's name means that you know them. You know something about them. The name of Jesus is central to this passage, and it would become central to Saul and his life. Saul had intended to bind those who called on Jesus' name, but he didn't know his name when Jesus called. Yet Saul would be baptized in that name and carry his name and preach boldly in his name and suffer for his name. I'd like us to notice that other people's names are important here, too. Saul was told that Ananias, by name, would come to him. The people he was persecuting were given a name. Ananias was told to go to Saul by name, to put a name and a face to his persecutor, to see him as something else. I think this is especially important for this ongoing conversation about racism in our country. Now, the other day I was in a parking lot and I saw a car with the back side window covered in writing. It was names. It included George Floyd and Tamir Rice and many others. And at the top it said, say their names. You've probably seen that too. It's been part of the protests over the past several weeks. 
As I understand it, it's built on a simple truth. If people don't have names, they become objects, and they're easily forgotten. For years and years, records about black people in this country rarely included their names, or they did so in an incidental way, something like went by or answered to. It was part of dehumanizing people, treating them like animals, like property. If we don't know anyone affected by a tragedy, it seems less real, and it's easier to forget. We can't really understand an injustice if we don't have any human connection to that injustice. What difference does it make for me as a white man to say that I'm opposed to racism if I don't have any genuine relationships with black people? How much progress will we make if someone says she wants to bring an end to police brutality but doesn't work to know any police officers? We need names to build relationships, to build understanding. The only way forward is not as us and them, but as us, consciously working together with God. So what should our response be when God shows us our blind spots? First, we need to proclaim the name of Jesus. In order to do that, of course, we need to, to know him, to recognize the blind spot of our sin and know that it's only through him, only through his cross, that we can be declared innocent, only through his suffering that we can be considered blameless. When we do know him, we need to proclaim his name to others with our actions and our words. Social justice without grounding in the truth of Jesus has no foundation. It's defined by whatever the majority decides is right, right now. It's only trading one form of might makes right for another. And we really need to consider what God's word means when he talks about justice. In America today, we tend to define justice in terms of punishing those who have done wrong. We see this in our justice system, in the way we view our police and our courts. We see it also in cancel culture that shames people to conform and immediately kicks offenders out of the conversation. But that's not God's justice, not at its core. Biblical justice is focused first and foremost on rescuing those who have been wronged on restoring people to a right relationship with God and with one another. Now that may include punishment if necessary, but there is always room for repentance, and there is never room for personal vengeance. The focus of biblical justice is always on saving and restoring the oppressed. Psalm 7 and 10 call for God's justice in this way. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So we need to proclaim and work toward justice, freedom, and restoration in Jesus' name. 
as we do so, and in his name, we need to hear and know the names of others. Notice that when Ananias first spoke to Saul, Saul hadn't been baptized. He hadn't received doctrinal instruction about Christianity. He hadn't even attended a single church service. In fact, he'd been breathing threats and murder against Ananias and his friends. But what does Ananias call him? Brother Saul. Why? Jesus had died for Saul. Jesus had revealed himself to him. And Jesus had shown Ananias his own blind spot. This was about finding a brother he didn't know he had. We have to recognize our brothers and sisters as our brothers and sisters. To see those still outside of God's family as people who need his grace every bit as much as we do. We need to come alongside one another as equals in the sight of God. We have to work together to work out our salvation. Not work for, work out. This has implications for our personal holiness. We need to cast off sin as God reveals it to us. And it has implications for our society. We as his people need to begin to build understanding, to apologize to those we have hurt, to rescue those who have been wronged. And we need to do it with fear and trembling, always seeking God and always open to the blind spots that he shows to us. So as we leave today, feel free to adjust your mirrors as you get to your car. But let's pray for God to reveal our real blind spots to us. May we have the strength to repent when he shows them to us. And may God give us eyes to see and to respond for the sake of a lost and broken world. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you that your love for us is not affected by our blind spots. And God, I, I pray this morning for and, and I pray with anyone who might be realizing that, that their blind spot is that they still think they can do it alone. That they can still move forward in their own strength. God, I just pray that you would reveal that blind spot to us. That if we put our trust in you, you will strengthen us, that you, you will forgive us, that you will call us forward into a life more abundant than we could have ever imagined. God, as your people, reveal your blind spot to us. Reveal our blind spots to us. Reveal your will to us. God, show us sin that we are harboring. Show us ways that we are not reflecting your glory to those around us. Show us where your heart is breaking. Lord, break our hearts for that. May we repent of the things that you reveal to us. May we throw them aside. May we respond pursuing you with our whole hearts. 
God, may this church, may your church across this country be known for pursuing your justice, for proclaiming your name, and for building understanding, for sharing love in your name. And it is in that name, in that powerful name of Jesus that I pray.